Welcome to the Push Dose Medic Podcast. 912 Ambulance, 75-year-old male, back pain, 211 Silver Hollow Road. We focus on core concepts for the beginner paramedic. 0933-5632. Here's your host, Jaron Jarrell. Hey guys, welcome back to the Push Dose Medic Podcast. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in this week. This week's topic is going to be on WPW, also known as Wolf-Parkinson-White Syndrome. If we dig back in the books, I'm sure we can remember that this is a cardiac electrical abnormality that happens in very few people. The key things people taught us were not to give a denison and always look for that delta wave or that slurred upstroke in the PR interval on a 12 lead. Knowing these two things, that pretty much wrapped up the lesson on WPW. There was really no in-depth patho or reasoning why it happened. So that's what we're digging into today. First, let's take a history lesson. So it was first noted around 1930 by Lewis White, John Parkinson, and Paul Dudley White, hence the name Wolf Parkinson White. Now this abnormality is extremely rare and only happens in less than 1% of people, and an even lesser amount of people actually develop the syndrome which is symptomatic tachycardia. Now, this condition is congenital at birth and usually happens in the younger population, so mainly most of your patients will be younger with unexplained tachycardia with no real significant history. With that being said, let's dig into it. First, let's go over normal electrical pathways in the heart. So we know we start at the top of the heart with the SA node. From the SA node, we send an electrical impulse over through Bachmann's bundle to the left atria, and together this creates atrial contraction. Now through this contraction, our next stop is going to be the AV node. Now the AV node is slightly important in this whole conversation. Let's remember that the AV node is the gatekeeper or the speed checkpoint. When the impulse reaches the AV node, it is paused for a few milliseconds, which is your PR interval, and that impulse is then released into the ventricles. So if you think the structure of the heart, you have the atria at top and the ventricles at the bottom, and that line in between is kind of like a hard stop. No electrical impulse can pass through into the ventricle without going through the AV node first. So that is your gatekeeper to the ventricles. Now, once that impulse passes through the AV checkpoint, it then travels down the bundle of his to the Purkinje fibers, and that completes your cardiac electrical cycle. When looking at an EKG and the electrical impulses, they're represented in different waves. So let's start out with the P wave, which is atrial contraction. That next flat line is going to be your PR interval, and that's a slight pause in between the SA node and the AV node. From there, we get ventricular contraction, which is represented by your QRS complex, And then finally, a T-wave, which is a repolarization of cardiac muscle. It's important to know what normal looks like because the identification of WPW lies within EKG findings. So with WPW, we basically have an abnormality where the electrical impulse takes a different path called the accessory pathway or bundle of Kent. Now it's worth mentioning, and I actually didn't know till I was brushing up on this topic, that bundle of Kent is really just another word for accessory pathway. There's more defined pathways that are anterior, posterior, lateral. There's about eight different ones that can be created to be an accessory pathway for WPW. But just to keep this simple, we'll say it's the bundle of Kent. So we want to think of this bundle of Kent as a detour in the heart. We have a main highway that goes from the SA node all the way down to the ventricle. And we have one truck stop, one speed checkpoint, and that's the AV node. 
So in WPW, we actually have a different pathway where we can bypass that AV node with no speed restrictions, and that's called the bundle of Kent. Now, there are a few different types of pathways WPW can have, and the first is anterior grade. This is where the pathway starts in the atria and bypasses that AV node, causing early ventricular contractions. This is also known as pre-excitation, which can lead to a variety of tachycardias, ventricular tachycardia, atrial tachycardias, etc. The second type being retrograde, which is slightly harder to pick up on EKG and is commonly called the concealed pathway. This usually happens when the normal conduction travels through the SA node all the way to the bundle of Hiss, and as it reaches its destination, the impulse travels back up to the atria, so it kind of bypasses everything. This can also lead to a condition called AVRT, which is also known as atrioventricular reentry tachycardia. Now, as we mentioned AVRT, it's important to note that we can further break down this type of tachycardia into two other types, and these are called orthodromic and antidromic. The difference between these two is basically which direction the electrical pathway is taking. First, let's talk about orthodromic AVRT. It's an impulse that leaves the SA node, travels down through your AV node, and into the Purkinje fibers, and then back up through the accessory pathway, or the bundle of Kent, and this is usually seen as a regular, narrow complex tachycardia, with P waves that are shortly after the QRS, since we're coming from the ventricle back up to the atria. In this rhythm, the QRS complex is unaffected as it travels a normal path. Now, it is worth mentioning that your orthodromic AVRT is more commonly associated with the retrograde or concealed pathway. Next, we have anterodromic AVRT, and this impulse actually travels from the SA node through the accessory pathway first, and then back up to the atria via the AV node. This is usually represented with regular wide complex tachycardia, very similar to VTAC. Examination of this rhythm will show no P waves, and if you look close enough, you may be able to see the upslope on the QRS complex. As it is similar to VTAC, it won't meet the same three criteria used to diagnose VTAC, so there will be that difference. So these pathways might not sound like a huge deal, but they're actually pretty dangerous if something were to happen. So in certain atrial tachycardias, like atrial fib or atrial flutter, where we have rates upwards of 250 to 300, we have no checkpoint, we have no speed control until we hit that AV node. And this is why we get a two to one or a three to one conduction rate. So we have two or three flutters or fibrillations and the AV node slows them down and we only get one ventricular contraction compared to that. Now imagine if the AV node wasn't there and we just had 250 to 300 contractions from the atria leading straight down to the ventricle. That's basically what would happen in WPW. These accessory pathways would bypass the AV node, so there is no checkpoint, and it's a straight highway to the ventricles. All impulses from the top of the heart are going straight through the accessory pathway to the bottom of the heart into a ventricular contraction. Now, when this happens, it can often lead to cardiogenic shock due to a severe tachycardia and poor cardiac output, or even lethal arrhythmias like ventricular fibrillation. So when we talk about symptoms of WPW, they're going to be the same symptoms as if someone was in any tachycardic rhythm. So they might be experiencing shortness of breath, lightheadedness, dizziness, uh, heart palpitations, or even chest pain. And this is all associated with that extremely high heart rate with poor cardiac output. So we have this super rare cardiac abnormality. We have a patient that's short of breath, 
lightheaded, dizzy, young, with no prior cardiac history. How do we exactly diagnose WPW, and how do we treat it? So let's get into diagnosis. For pre-hospital, really the best thing we can do is just an EKG. But remember, if we have some kind of retrograde pathway, we won't be able to see it on the EKG. So an easy thing to remember is the WPW triad, and that consists of three things. Short PR interval, so less than 120 milliseconds. A widened QRS, so anything more than 110, even more 120 milliseconds. And then the presence of delta waves. Now I'll put pictures up of a delta wave, but basically you have a P wave and straight from that P wave, there is no PR interval into a QRS complex. It actually slopes straight up into the R complex and then continues on. Now the times that you won't see this clearly defined is if you have some kind of atrial fib or atrial flutter kind of persisting over that WPW and some differences there. It'll be super wide, very irregular and chaotic. So it'll look like a wild VTAC. We know usually VTEC is very regular and monomorphic, and it kind of looks the same across the board. In this, it'll be very chaotic, and you'll see that upstroke into the delta wave on that complex. Now, when we see this WPW triad, the short PR interval, wide QRS, and those delta waves, that's what's called the WPW pattern. Now, this can be found in a patient that's asymptomatic and has no issues at all. Now, we want to be sure we differentiate between the pattern and the syndrome. When someone starts to become extremely tachycardic and symptomatic to the syndrome, or sorry, this pattern, that's when it becomes the WPW syndrome. It's at this point we have to start thinking about treatment. So if somebody is symptomatic, obviously, if we have someone that's unstable, the first thing we're going to do is synchronize cardioversion and follow whatever jewels you need to per protocol, obviously. Now, if they're stable, most of the time it's just observation and then maybe a follow-up with a cardiologist, but pre-hospital, we're not going to do a lot. Maybe put them on end title, just monitor perfusion, but we're not going to be shocking them and we're not going to be medicating them. Since WPW really the whole system kind of relies on that AV node. We want to be super careful what medications we actually give the patient because we don't want any negative effects with that AV node. Medications that diminish or get rid of that AV node action are actually lethal and can lead to any kind of lethal ventricular rhythms. So I think adenosine was always drilled into everybody's head, but there's another easy way we can remember this, and it's ABCD. So obviously A starts out with our adenosine, B is for beta blocker, C for cardizem or your calcium channel blockers, and then D for digoxin. So all of these medications basically have negative effects on the AV node. And like I said before, we have the highway. We have a straight highway that goes from the atria to the ventricles, and we have a speed checkpoint right there at the AV node. Now, if we get rid of that, we have a straight highway from the atria to the ventricle with no speed checkpoint. So any kind of rhythm that persists into 2, 250, 300 from the atria is sent directly down the ventricular pathway, and we basically have a one-to-one -one ratio. So if we're at 300 up top, we're at 300 to the bottom, usually ends up in ventricular fibrillation and then death. Now the caveat to this is if we have a patient in AVRT, now if we remember that it takes a pathway in basically a circle around the top of the heart. So whether it be orthodromic or antidromic, the impulse is traveling through the AV node in that circular fashion. So if we block that AV node, we basically diminish that rhythm. So these medications are actually safe if they are in AVRT. 
Now, the most common medication you give for WPW is something I don't think a lot of EMS places carry, and that's percanamide. Common medication used, amiodarone is also used, but follow our own protocols and procedures on this. Um, I don't know of a lot of EMS agencies that still use percanamide. Amio is an option if it's in your protocols. So the more long-term stable treatment for WPW is actually radiofrequency ablation. So they go in and actually burn that pathway out. So there is no ability to conduct electricity from one place to another. Now with that accessory pathway gone, all impulses now have to go from the SA node to the AV node, get their speed checked, and then continue on to the ventricles. I hope this overview was helpful for you. It's something that we don't see a lot, but it's still something we want to keep in the back of our mind. I've only seen it once, and it was an asymptomatic patient where I just noticed the delta wave, and there was really nothing I could do about it. If you have any further questions or comments, anything I can help you with, please feel free to reach out to me. I'll do the best I can. I know this is kind of something that's based off EKG and hard to maybe conceptualize, so I will put pictures in the show notes um, so you guys can actually see what I'm talking about on the EKG. As always, I want to thank you guys for your support. Please subscribe and leave a rating on iTunes for me, and we'll see you next time.